The information contained in documents referenced in this podcast are for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only and are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as professional, medical, or health treatment, diagnosis, or advice. Regardless of anything to the contrary, no information contained in nor document referred to in this podcast should be understood as a recommendation that you should not consult with a medical or health professional to address your particular situation. We strongly encourage that our listeners consult with medical providers or qualified mental health providers with issues and questions regarding any physical and or mental health symptoms or concerns that they may have. The opinions and views expressed by guests in our podcast are not necessarily those of the authors, their employees, nor any of their affiliates. Dr. McNeil's opinions and views are expressed in his individual capacity and are not to be construed as those of any of his guests, partners, and or affiliates. The information in the podcast may be changed without notice and is not guaranteed to be complete, correct, timely, current, or up-to-date. We undertake no obligation to update any information on the podcast, provided, however, that we may update the information at any time without notice in our sole and absolute discretion. Mental Health Explained is a podcast aimed at helping you learn relevant information about how the mental health field is here to serve you. Every week, Dr. Alex McNeil will cut through the jargon and describe the resources that mental health care can offer in Massachusetts and beyond, with guests that specialize in the week's topics. Pull back the curtain and hear about the help that is well within your reach. Today we are talking about individual therapy. What it is, what benefits does it have, and how do I access it? We are lucky to have today's guest, Dr. Emily Hotz, Doctorate of Clinical Psychology, who after several years in the field has recently opened up her own private practice in Waltham, Massachusetts, and lends her knowledge and experience to today's topic. You can reach Dr. Emily Hotz at dremilyhotz.com. That's D-R-E-M-I-L-Y-H-O-T-Z.com. Of note, you might hear during the podcast a new feature. When I jump in on the interview to add any points that I feel are important to bring up, Dr. Hotz and I did not cover during our discussion. I feel that this is an incredible topic, and I'm excited to present it to you. So without further ado, the second episode of Mental Health Explained, a Dr. Alex McNeil podcast. So Emily, thank you for being on Mental Health Explained. Yes, thank you for having me. (laughs) Very welcome. I want to have you tell a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your practice. Tell us a little bit about who you treat, what you like to do, and a little bit about your own process of, you know, the services that you give, um, whether it's individual therapy or other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just sort of generally speaking, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I just opened my private practice this month. So that's very exciting. All very new. Um but I do uh, therapy with children, adolescents, young adults is mostly my population that I work with. And I'm doing only telehealth at the moment. So it's all remote, um, no in-person until this pandemic coronavirus is a little bit more in our you know, rear view mirror. Um, keep everybody safe, uh, including myself and everyone else. Um, I work with a lot of anxiety, depression, um, and occasionally I get a sports psychology case that I really do enjoy and love it because I also um, on the side when pandemic is not around, I am a um, competitive dodgeball player. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> and the cool thing, too, is, is that the not only the spirit, but the physicality of it uh, resembles other sports. Yes, definitely. So your experience doing dodgeball can really help inform you doing sports psychology with somebody who does basketball, who does football, who does other sports. Today, we're really talking about the journey of individual therapy and you know the process of going through individual therapy, but what is the difference between individual therapy and other types of therapy? What's the difference between individual and couples or family or group or, or whatever? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think in individual therapy, you know, the, the focus is really one person and occasionally maybe like a family might have a family session or a person come in or someone in the couple, um, come in, but in individual therapy, the focus, the client where the confidentiality really lies is that one person. So, I mean, that's a good sort of segue into something like couples therapy. So with couples therapy, the quote unquote client 
is defined as the couple. It isn't one person or the other, it is both of them together. So in order for that to be successful, the therapist really has to say neutral. Yeah. No alignment with one person, no saying, yes, husband, you are correct in this case and your wife needs to do this. You know, that's really not a successful um, couples therapy approach. It really is staying that neutral kind of person um, and then focusing on the relationship, communication, increasing in understanding of each other. And then the therapist can really um, help break down what are some of the detrimental patterns that are happening. Group therapy can vary based on the group in terms of size. So usually between three to maybe 16 people, I think any bigger than that um, might be a little bit difficult to kind of control. I mean, I have actually run groups that big, um, but it, yeah, I worked at a, um, a hospital and I worked in a partial program and sometimes we would have upwards of 20 uh, teenagers there. Uh, people usually are coming together in this group to discuss maybe a specific topic. Um, so maybe specifically um, someone who's struggling with depression or self-harm, or maybe it's a group based on anxiety or OCD. Um, there's also process groups. Yeah. So um, just everyone coming together to process maybe difficulty with adjustment or wanting to connect with other people who might understand, hey, I'm struggling. I'm admitting it. I'm talking about it. I want help. I want to help you. Um, and that kind of group atmosphere is usually facilitated by a therapist or two or three or four, maybe sometimes depending on the group. Um, but sort of like a guide um, to help the group move together. Uh, and then the last uh, therapy you had mentioned, sort of family therapy. Family therapy, I would say, uh, is similar to couples in the way that the family is the quote unquote client. Yeah. It's not one person. So even if, let's say, the mother of the family calls, hey, we need some family therapy. We need someone to come in, help us out. Mom is not the client. Yeah. The family is the client. Um so again, usually trying to stay neutral as the therapist and working with communication with everyone, the relationships, the patterns, um, just trying to bring everyone on the same page and trying to work with the system itself, right? Not just one person or the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if all of those are the different styles or the different types of therapies, seems like individual therapy is like your own little relationship. Like you could go in and it's your own little private space mm -hmm. to talk to somebody who is there to help you. I really don't want to stray too much away from the sentiment that some people have from like therapy. Like what, why would I, have you ever encountered that where people are like, why would you do therapy? Why would you go to therapy? Oh yes. Oh yes. I have definitely encountered those people. <laughs> How do you react to it? How do you talk to them or explain it to them? Well, I often start with the disclaimer that I'm probably biased because I am <laughs> a therapist, <laughs> um, but I think that therapy can benefit absolutely anyone. And, you know, someone who's like therapy, I don't need that. I start to think about why is that person saying this? Do they feel like there's stigmatization or certain stereotypes? Are they nervous? Are they scared yeah. to confront who they really are? Yeah. Are there cultural implications, family implications? If my parents, grandparents, friends, if they don't approve, yeah. what does that mean about me if I decide to go to therapy? Yeah. Um, but I think that it can it can start to understand those very things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why is that something that's stressful if you're trying to do something for yourself? You know, I think in, in part, one of the stereotypes might be this, you know, don't show emotion, keep it in, be strong, do the harder thing and be strong, don't go to therapy. But yeah. to be honest, the more difficult thing is to go to therapy and confront these things and try to work through them um, to move on. Uh, to better understand yourself and your life and just try to live better. And it, it almost reminds me of those people. And okay, I'll do a disclaimer. I'm probably also biased because I like sushi, but the people who are like, I hate sushi. And they're like, but I've never tried it. So, okay. Okay. But like, Raw why, fish. why do you hate it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
you know, when you were talking, I was thinking about two things. First is I was th- thinking about men, just as a guy, just the idea of going to another person, a uh, guy or a girl, and just talking about your feelings is like, why would I do that? That's not, that's going to take away from my time that I could be successful or get money or I could do something else. And also, I don't want to just kind of spill all my guts out. If I spill all my guts out, that means I'm weak mm-hmm. or that means that you know, I'm not man. A lot of men, and including myself growing up, we always thought the sign of being a man is being independent. The idea that you're dependent on is somebody that you don't even know going into a room every week and getting relying on help from them. That's not manhood. Like you're not a man anymore if you're doing that. I think a lot of men kind of have that thought process. Yeah, that really speaks to the culture of toxic masculinity that we have these days. And that could probably be its whole own episode um, for you with your podcast, because it I I hope and, you know, I feel like it's changing. I hope that it's changing. I think that the younger generations are becoming more and more comfortable with saying, hey, I need some help. Yeah. Right. Like if you are. I talk a lot in metaphors. If you are a plant and you're like, I don't have enough water. That's okay. That's okay. I'm going to get by. I'm going to get by. I'm going to get by. Right. But like, you know, your leaves are going to start turning brown. The soil is going to dry out. And if you don't water it, if you don't do the self-care and do what you need to do, which I think is actually more of a sign of being independent and taking care of yourself, yeah. then it's, you know, it's just not going to be good in the long term. So I am really hoping that that whole idea, the whole concept is, is really changing. Yeah. The other thing too, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I want to say this in the front end of the episode, which is, is that I think out there thoughts about, you know, culture. I think that there is a cultural element to it, but we're definitely going to talk a little bit later in the episode about, well, how do you find a therapist that you can trust? Because that's huge. If you don't mm-hmm. feel like you could trust your therapist. It's really not going to work. So the next thing is beyond what we already said, which is huge. Is there any other benefits that you could think of in terms of therapy, individual therapy? I mean, I I think getting a deeper understanding for the symptoms people are experiencing Mm. and the biology, the brain mechanisms behind some of these symptoms is really what's going to help to see them for what they are and figure out how to live your life, how to think, how to act, how to do things differently to get a different result. And it, you know, I think a therapist, I I think I said this term before, but is really more of a guide. It's going to, they're going to try to teach you what they know, help you get to where you want to be. And, you know, it's scientifically proven to help people more than doing absolutely nothing more than what, you know, if you just keep going in circles and circles, nothing is really going to change. And, um, therapy is going to help, um, with long lasting positive benefits as well. It, and, and this is a term I often use in my own therapy with people, but a therapist is going to help rewire your brain. And Mm. that is long lasting. There was a, there was a study in August of 2012, I believe, uh, and the APA just, or there was at least an article around uh, 2012 that was talking about the effectiveness of therapy. It's this huge article I found online APA is American Psychological Association. And if you want to see if therapy is effective, there's a lot of studies about it that's summarized in that. So I would take a look online. Um, Emily, uh, this is a little bit off the beaten path in terms of questions, but I think it's important. What, What are some symptoms or what are some things that a person is going through or experiencing that might signal to them, maybe, maybe it would be help if I go to therapy? Yeah, and there are probably a million and one different ways I could answer that. But I think um, that a reoccurring feeling of discomfort. Okay. Because I'm going to leave it vague because I think that that could be, um, even if someone's not labeling it as worry, you know, sometimes anxiety can present as physical symptoms, um, butterflies in the stomach, uh, sweaty palms, trembling, shaking, anticipation, headaches. Um, someone could be more isolating or feeling like they're withdrawing from people. And I think that the vagueness of discomfort 
If you are noticing discomfort and you are noticing that it's recurring and you want a little bit of assistance to understand it, see it for what it is and change it, that is enough to just seek therapy. Uh, it's okay to add one? Yeah, of course. Um, functioning. If you find that you've been doing things a certain way and you're, and you're pretty good at it and things are going well, and then all of a sudden, somehow you're just not able to do things the way you used to. Somehow, maybe it's because of your emotions or maybe it's because of the way you're thinking or whatever. And you're like, that's weird. Last year or two years ago, things were fine. But for some reason, I'm just not doing things the way I used to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a dip in the way I'm effective. It might be a good idea to think about therapy. Definitely. Um, as well as talking to a medical professional because maybe there's a medical thing too. This is going to be the first insert that I have. I want to note here that it's not just if you were functioning at a high level and now you're functioning at a lower level. It's functioning goes beyond that. It's also if you notice that you are in an environment, in a situation where you aspire to do something and the functioning is not as effective as you thought it would be or hoped it would be. Of course, I know that there can be a medical reason. There can also be a psychological reason. Also, if you are a parent or if you're a loved one or if you're a family member or you're any person around another whose functioning is not appropriate for the situation, scenario, group that they're in, that could also be an indication that psychological professional help might be needed. And now back to the interview where I just asked Emily the question, who can be a therapist? Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> Joe Schmo, your neighbor can be a therapist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, takes a, it takes a certain amount of training. Um, you know, there's, there's rules and regulations. There's actually all of these other degrees other than what we have a PsyD, a PSYD um, mm -hmm. is what we have. And, and actually a lot of people are like, what is that? What is a PsyD? I've never heard of that. You mean right. PhD? You mean MD? No, right. a PsyD, PSYD. It's Doctorate of Psychology. Mm -hmm. Makes a little bit more sense than Doctorate of Philosophy. But hey, that's just, you know, we're biased <laughs> over here. Um, but we can be therapists, obviously, because we are. We have PhDs who can be therapists. Um, licensed social workers in LICSW, um, a doctorate in education in EDD, uh, and an LMH uh, licensed mental health professional counselor. counselor yes, LMHC, yeah, an LMFT licensed marriage and family therapist. You know, I'm probably not naming all of them. There's a variety um, of different avenues, degrees that you can go down. And, and I hope that people are not necessarily biased one degree over the other degree. I'm only looking for this or that or the other thing. All of these different degrees have training requirements, have supervision requirements, have academic requirements and have different focuses, right? And sometimes the different focuses can help you get what you're looking for too. Mm. So one of the things we talked about, you mentioned this word before was confidentiality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so confidentiality at the core of it, right, you know, the base of the word confidential. So really, as a therapist, we are bound professionally, we are bound legally to hold information that is shared with us as private. Yeah. So anytime I'm talking about confidentiality with a new patient in particular, I do talk about some of the limits of confidentiality because it's not absolutely anything you can, you know, most things you can say, but for example, if I'm worried about someone's safety, if they're telling me they're having thoughts about harming themselves or harming someone else, yeah. you know, those are reasons that I would break the confidentiality in order to keep somebody safe. Yeah. Um, other things like, you know, if a court or a judge were to get involved, certain re requests um, might have to be followed through on. That's always something a therapist is going to talk with a client about, you know, if that comes up. Um, and then another, I know you didn't ask about limits, but I think in talking about what confidentiality is, it is important to talk about those boundaries and the limits of that. Sure. Um, 
but also being a mandated reporter. So as a therapist, we are mandated to report um, any child or elder abuse or neglect. Um, again, in most cases, this is something the therapist is going to ask more about. And if anything needed to be done, you'd usually know about that ahead of time. Um, so, uh, and then the last area that does get a little bit tricky, I do work with children, teenagers, young adults. So for a minor, mm -hmm. right? When you think about someone who's not a legal adult yet, what can stay confidential? Is it anything? Is it everything? And legally speaking, a parent does hold confidentiality for a minor. But I often talk about this with parents and children when they come in. Um, I want the room, I want the relationship to feel comfortable and safe. And so I will have that very specific conversation. Hey, mom, dad, you know, grandparents, whoever is there with them, um, I will say, what are the topics that you must, you want to know about that are no-goes to keep it confidential? Um, knowing that safety is already one of those things that would be broken if that was an issue. And right. as long as the parents or um, grandparents or guardian is agreeable, I want all other information to really stay in confidence because I, I do want them to feel like they can be open about anything. Um, so, but you know, things can, can sort of vary case by case. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> definitely does answer my question. I think there's also something that's really important to point out, which is, is that when you go to a therapist and I'm going to say this a lot during this episode, when you go to a therapist, ask about the limits of confidentiality from the get-go and they, you know, are required to tell you the limits of confidentiality and what those are and spell it out. Okay, so this confidentiality thing exists. You can only talk to me and I talk to you and all this stuff. It's kept between us. But what if I want you to talk to somebody? What if I want you to talk to my parents? Or what if I want you to talk to my spouse? What if I want you to talk to, you know, um, what if I have a kid, my kid is in therapy and I want you to talk to the guidance counselor? What then? Yeah, I think in um, in certain situations, inviting them into the therapy room could be a way that you are clearly showing you're okay with the therapist talking to them. Um, and in most cases, what the therapist will do uh, is have the client or parent, if the client is a minor, sign something called a release of information. Okay. And the release of information is basically this, um, this form that's saying, I'm giving Dr. Hotz the approval to speak with blah, 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 whoever it is, the person, the school, um, about what's going on. And in most cases, therapists, yes, even with the permission are going to talk to them, but are probably going to give only the information necessary and needed to address, you know, what's happening, what's going on, the conversation. So if, if I was going to talk to a guidance counselor, I'm not going to get into Joe Schmo's entire family history and background okay. and everything that's happened. I'm really just going to talk about the relevant information. We're going to take a short break and then we will get back to the show. Mental Health Explained goes beyond the podcast. Visit the website alexmcneil.com to find resources based on today's conversation, past episodes, and other material aimed to help explain how the mental health field can serve you. That's A-L-E-X-M-A-C-N-E-I-L dot com. All one word. Thank you for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah. Is there anybody that can't go to therapy? Is there any like, is there anybody that can't go? Is there any person that, that isn't fit for therapy? Literally no one, <laughs> even therapists can go to therapy. But I, I do think one of the most important parts for it being successful is just someone who is open. And I know we talked earlier in, in the, the podcast about um, people who might not be so open and you can most definitely go. We, we want you, I encourage you to go actually. Um, but I would just try to open, be open um, to what might happen and, and what might be talked about, but anyone, anyone can go. Absolutely. And I think it's important to point out here is, is that there are different therapy styles. 
the way that we approach therapy is I'm trying to think of a metaphor. I can't even think of it, but there are different ways to approach a client or a person. And one approach might not fit that person. Mm -hmm. In fact, not every therapist fits every person. Right. Takes a special therapist and a special approach. Yeah, I, I, there's so many studies that have been done. It's, it's really about goodness of fit. Mm -hmm. And you've mentioned this a few times before, but if you don't have a good connection, a good fit, get a good vibe, feel comfortable with your therapist, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter what type or modality they're doing, it's probably not going to have a positive effect. Um, and there's more types of therapies that I could even name than I even know of. Um, but I, I tend to use something called cognitive behavioral therapy. I utilize aspects of that. It's you know, the acronym is CBT, if anyone has heard of that CBT. Um, and it's really just the focus on uh, the interaction between thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you can target and focus on the thoughts and change the thoughts, the hope is you could also change the feelings and behavior from there. So it's really just analyzing that interaction more. Um, and I think it's part of rewiring the brain, which is why I use it, because I think it's really effective with that. I'm going to go back to a vocab word that you said. Yes. What, what does modality mean? Modality. Oh, my gosh. Great question. I think it's just... Um, modality is is kind of like a style yeah. um but i think it's so cbt is one modality or style of therapy that focuses on a certain thing um really cognitive and behavior right cognitive behavioral therapy and then there are other focuses for example um something like psychodynamic therapy is a modality that really uh, looks more at um, people's backgrounds and past experiences and how it might be affecting them to this day, things maybe they haven't worked through yet, um, or something like dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Um, that modality focuses much more on distress tolerance and emotion regulation. Um, so again, there's more than I can sort of name, but I think it's, it's just an approach. I think that's a good way to summarize it. So then how do you find a therapist that fits? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of different ways to find a therapist. And in a way, I think you, you sort of have to shop around a lot of the time and sort of find something that fits you. And you can tell you you can be open with a therapist. I've had people say that to me. Hey, you know, I'm just looking for a good fit. Can we like start off, maybe have an appointment or two and, and see if we want to move forward from there. And I think this can also vary per your location. You know, hopefully people are listening to this podcast from all different states all over the country. <laughs> um, so I don't want to necessarily give Massachusetts specific sure. uh, information, but I think and I'm um, not sponsored and um, psychologytoday.com does have a lot of good information um, mm. about different therapists, bios, what modalities they use, what insurances they take. Um, you can also look on your insurance website. I would recommend reaching out to maybe pediatricians or primary care physicians in your area as well, um, or even friends and family, you know, that have been to therapy, Hey, who do you recommend? Mm -hmm. And although there might be a conflict of interest to see them, you can just ask them for referrals. Hey, do you know anyone in the area that has an opening? And they'll, I've had people do that to me already in my private practice, and I've given some referrals. Um, so there's lots of different avenues you could take, but just trying to find someone you do find that, that, that gel that mesh with just like you would, you know, finding a friend that you're just like, Oh, I like that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel comfortable with them. I want to spend more time with them. Same with a the therapist. You want that feeling of like, Oh, Oh, this is okay. Like I could do this. I could keep coming every week. Um, and maybe even being excited about it, but I, I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> another one is, is that if you're looking for a therapist for your child, uh, you could go to the guidance counselor. In the mm -hmm. school, uh, you could go to people in the school or, you know, figure out if there's a, like you said, the pediatrician or the, mm -hmm. the doctor, you can go through your insurance and ask if there's any, so you could call up your insurance and literally say, is there a therapist in my area? And then you could also go a step further. You could talk to your insurance and say, 
you know, I'm looking for therapists for my mom. She's coming from Ecuador. She only speaks Spanish. You know, is there a Spanish speaking therapist around the area? So you can ask for that. And there should be a list of Spanish speaking or different languages that mm -hmm. therapists speak. The other thing too is, is that if you have a preference that is, I, I think there are websites and I can't quote any because I don't know any offhand. I wish I did, but there are websites where you can put in your preferences. I want a man or I want a woman. I want somebody older. I want somebody younger. I want somebody who's African-American. I want somebody who is Latinx. You know, um, you could put the preferences down. That sounds like very minute things to be able to um, put in as filters. I think that would be um, great if there was something out there. I don't know of anything also on the top of my head, but I would also encourage people um, to still be open, right? We don't necessarily have to have therapists, quote unquote, just like us, but when there is like a language barrier or you think someone who has um, knowledge and experience of your culture or um, where you've grown up or your beliefs, even if they're, you know, spiritual beliefs, um, if that's important to you, then um, yeah, that's definitely something you can try to look for. And as we find resources like that, you know, I'm happy to share them with my clients or, or people who ask me as well. So we'll keep our eyes open for that. Then, okay, so you found a therapist. <laughs> this is a big one, actually. What if I start with a therapist? Maybe we go for a session or two, and I don't like it. What should I do? What, what do you suggest? I mean, I think that I, I hope that people feel comfortable bringing that to the attention um, of their therapist and letting them know, hey, you know, either this thing isn't working for me or, you know, I'm feeling like I want to focus on this a little bit more or I'd like, you know, some people really want structure. Some people come in are like, hey, I want worksheets every single week. I want to print them out. I want to take them home. I want to be able to reference them. And some people are like, I hate worksheets. I just want to talk about the difficult things that have come up this week. Mm -hmm. And there's no one size fits all. And to be honest, there's no way for a therapist to know what's going to work for you and what you're looking for. So that's a conversation that needs to happen. And, um, you know, hopefully if you bring it up, the therapist will be open to sort of uh, changing and adapting to what's going to work best for you. Um, and if they're not open to adapting um, or listening to your feedback, then I would suggest shopping around again and maybe finding someone else because a therapist should be um, okay with that. Absolutely. And I would say give it a handful of sessions. We're going to take a short break and then we will get back to the show. Mental Health Explained goes beyond the podcast. Visit the website alexmcneil.com to find resources based on today's conversation, past episodes, and other material aimed to help explain how the mental health field can serve you. That's A-L-E-X-M-A-C-N-E-I-L.com. All one word. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. People who live in small towns where there's only one therapist in town, what if that therapist is the soccer coach of my kids' soccer team, you know? And what if I have two kids? I got a, a daughter and a, um, a son, and I want both to see a therapist. Can they see both therapists? You mentioned the words conflict of interest earlier. Mm -hmm. what, what are the, because this is getting messy right now. So how do we uh, work through all of that? Yeah, and that can be quite tricky um, when there's a small town or um, there's going to be something called a dual relationship, right? If yeah. if I have if I'm seeing a teenager and at the same time the teenager is also let's just say um, going to make up a situation going to see my parent for a dent being their dentist who my parents are not dentists, but let's just say, right? And there's this overlap and there's this weirdness. And let's say I'm also coaching a lacrosse team and one of my clients is on the team. You know, if, if that's something that's happening and you know that you live in an area or a small town where the potential for these dual relationships or overlaps are going to happen, those are 100% conversations you need to have at the beginning of therapy, not wait for it to happen, but figure out how do we address this? Because as a therapist, even just acknowledging 
someone outside of the therapist office mm -hmm. on our own is like a break of confidentiality unless it is initiated on their part. They mm -hmm. say, oh, hey, you know, Dr. Hotz, um, how's it going? And then you can obviously, you know, engage in a polite, probably not too long conversation with them. But if it's like, okay, hey, you know, you're gonna be on my lacrosse team. How do you wanna handle that? And in a therapy session, you can discuss that and talk about how, how that might be. Um, but usually therapists try to avoid dual relationship situations when possible. Do we have to go in person right now? I mean, there's a deadly coronavirus. Yeah, we do not um, have to go in person. I think, I think there are therapists who are going in person still. I, I am sort of feeling like it is a minority of therapists at this point who are going in person, yeah. but the majority are doing some, if not all, telehealth remote um, using um, HIPAA compliance or confidential, safe and secure um, avenues, you know, like FaceTime is not something that is something called HIPAA compliant or secure is going to keep um, everything under a certain amount of regulation. So there are other applications or uh, telehealth uh, platforms with things that are built in to make sure that they are secure. And I, I do think this is going to create a shift in, um, in therapy in the future. I think more and more people are going to continue to do telehealth indefinitely, including myself. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the rules as I know it is, is that if your therapist is licensed in a state, they can see any client or any person that is in that state over telehealth. Mm -hmm. I believe, I know that's for Massachusetts. I believe that's also for other states too. Yes, and there are all of these laws and rules that are applying to telehealth that are actually in flux because telehealth has never gotten this much um, attention before. So things are definitely changing, but particularly during the pandemic, there are ways to get emergency licensure in different states, really, I think, related to the pandemic. So, um, for example, I've had a few of my clients go to, to back to college or come back from college um, in certain states, and I do have temporary licensure in New Jersey and mm -hmm. Connecticut. That does not mean I'm taking new clients on who live in New Jersey or Connecticut, but who I have a previously established relationship with. I've contacted the state boards. Um, but within Massachusetts itself, at this point, I can reach anyone from, you know, all the way the east coast of, of Massachusetts to Nantucket and then all the way to the west coast, you know, bordering the other states, anyone in the whole state, which I think it, it just broadens people's ability um, to get therapy, to get mm -hmm. um, good therapy for them. And, and they have more of a reach to find a therapist that's a good fit. Of note, it's really important to remember that regarding telehealth, the laws that I described are true, that the clinician has to be licensed in the same state as the client's in. There is an emphasis on being physically present for both parties. So if a clinician is in Massachusetts and they're licensed in Massachusetts, and, and like I said, they are physically present in the state, they can treat people that are in that state. However, if a Massachusetts clinician is taking a trip to Alaska and they are in Alaska, even if they're licensed in Massachusetts, they're not physically present, so they couldn't help anybody in Massachusetts. Furthermore, if a client is taking a trip to California for a vacation, they cannot do therapy because they're not physically in Massachusetts, even if the clinician is. The clinician has to be physically present in the states that they're licensed, and the client has to be present in the states that the clinician is licensed to. And with that, going back to the show. If you decide to go to therapy, let's say that you do therapy over the computer, which, by the way, has been shown to be effective. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen it is as effective as individual therapy. Uh, 
whether that's in our own, you know, experiences, I think the studies also show that there is similar effectiveness. Is that correct? Yeah, that's definitely what I've seen and heard as well. And um, even the response from my own clients, I was doing 0% telehealth before the pandemic. Now I'm doing 100% telehealth. And a lot of my clients I've been working with for years and um, a smaller percentage started with me during the pandemic. I've never met them in person. And everyone that I've talked to is very pleasantly surprised at how beneficial it is. People, I think, including myself, were expecting it to be um, less comfortable in some way or not being able to hold the space as much. Um, I mean, granted, when there's technological difficulties or Wi-Fi goes in and out, that can be a little bit of a problem and frustrating for everyone. Um, but I think it really has been much better than people were expecting, including myself. How do I pay for that? How do I pay for therapy? Great question. <laughs> well, the world of health insurance, um, mm -hmm. if you have health insurance, um, a lot of the times it can cover some or all of therapy sessions, depending on your plan. It does get a little bit confusing and that's probably, again, another episode you can go down, but um, some people have deductibles where you do have to pay the full out-of-pocket fee first. And then sometimes people have co-insurance where they have to pay a copay. And then sometimes therapy is 100% covered by their plan. So I would uh, encourage people to reach out to their insurance companies to see uh, what kind of plan they have, uh, what the estimates would be. You can also ask a therapist about this too. Um, in my own practice, brand new to private practice, it's something that you really just have to dive into. And I'm trying to get as much clarity for the clients that I'm seeing as possible. So they know what to expect. And there's no, like, you know, sometimes you go and have a, you know, a procedure or an appointment at a hospital and you're like, whoa, whoa, where did this bill come from? And it's sort of like that sticker shock. Um, so I'm trying to, you know, avoid that for people whenever possible. And um, so the, the deductibles, the co-pays, um, and then you can also do self-pay, um, full out-of-pocket, not going through um, an insurance company as well. Most therapists take um, cash, check, and then lots of therapists these days also take credit cards through safe and secure, um, even over telehealth um, format as well. Mm. For sure. So let's say I did go, I decided to go to therapy. I got the intake booked, everything's booked. Um, then I, 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 you know, I go and they give me something that's called a diagnosis. What's the deal with that? What is a diagnosis? Yeah, I think so in an intake, people are giving their background information, their history, some of their symptoms, just kind of like, what are they feeling and thinking how things are going? Um, and then Usually a therapist will give you a diagnosis if they think you meet criteria um, or for insurance company reasons, um, looking into a diagnosis. Sometimes, and I think this is an imp important thing to note is when a therapist goes through the insurance company, it has to be medically necessary and therefore the person needs a diagnosis. But sometimes it can just be, I'm further evaluating for this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, okay, what is a diagnosis? Where did these things even come from? Well, it's just a bunch of smart people sitting around a table <laughs> saying, here, let's clump these things together and give it this name. Yeah. And that way we'll cluster people with similar presentations together so we know how to treat it. Yeah, so we cluster the symptoms together. Yes, so the we way cluster the, person, the symptoms. The way the person's presenting. And then we call it a diagnosis. Right, exactly. So if, you know, you have um, worry that's happening for you, that's difficult to control, it's happening, you know, throughout most days, then I'm going to start thinking about a generalized anxiety disorder. Obviously, it's much more complex than that. But with those symptoms, those are the, it sort of gives us a, a smaller area of focus for our treatment of what's going on and a better way to understand it. Yeah. Um, but, but what I don't want to happen is for people to feel like it's a scarlet letter. Oh right. my gosh, I have anxiety. 
you know, what does this mean about me? And our diagnoses as humans ebb and flow throughout our lives. And I think that we all have different spectrums of different symptoms. I have anxiety, I have depression, I have this, I have that. Sometimes I have more, sometimes I have less. As a human, we all have a little bit. And these diagnoses are also, you know, these smart people that are sitting at the table coming up with them, these diagnoses change Mm -hmm. every few years, even as, you know, a recent one, Asperger's disorder was um, absorbed by the autism spectrum. And now Asperger's is is actually no longer um, thought of as a separate diagnosis on paper. We Mm -hmm. all mentally sort of historically do know some of the differences that were usually, um, you know, that people with Asperger's versus autism spectrum disorder usually have. So I think it's just good to keep in mind that it's, it's not a scary thing. It's not a life sentence. It's just a better way for us to, to make sense of what's happening. It's also not who you are. Yes. So much more than that. We're going to take a short break and then we will get back to the show. Mental Health Explained goes beyond the podcast. Visit the website alexmcneil.com to find resources based on today's conversation, past episodes, and other material aimed to help explain how the mental health field can serve you. That's A-L-E-X-M-A-C-N-E-I-L.com all one word. Thank you for listening. And now back to the show. The other thing too is, is that are there different therapy approaches or therapy styles for different diagnoses? Yes, there are definitely certain modalities that work best or that are proven to work best through research studies, through outcome studies for certain Diagnosis. So someone who is meeting criteria for an obsessive compulsive disorder is going to do much better with um, certain modalities than others. Or someone with a phobia is going to do better with something called ERP, exposure and response prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, right, instead of just sitting and sort of talking about the phobia, how do you feel about the phobia? It's in, in part, yes, we can work on the thoughts about the phobia, but the best way for something like a phobia is exposure in a safe manner that's not going to be overwhelming or flooding for those out there who want to address a phobia. Um, I have a spider phobia, so I get it. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so uh, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> the other thing too is, is that how do we find what's the best approach for our symptoms, our diagnosis? Like, how do we know? The therapist should be familiar with that, but if you wanted to ask your therapist, hey, you know, are are you thinking I'm meeting criteria for a certain diagnosis, um, diagnosis, diagnosis, several maybe, can we go over them? And that is something that I often do with my clients too. I'll take out the DSM, the diagnostic manual, and we'll go over the symptoms for disorders with people so that they have a better understanding. This is not something I'm trying to keep secret or um, you know, hidden from someone. I want them to understand themselves too. So a therapist should be able to go over that with you, can tell you uh, what modalities are best for certain disorders. And it's probably online, although I don't want to trust Dr. Google with everything. Um, You can Google certain things and and get a better understanding for what's out there. Consult with a professional. Yes. So then you're going to therapy, you went to an intake, then you think to yourself, wait a minute, so how often do I need to go to this? How long are these sessions? How many sessions do I have to go to? Yeah, that definitely varies per person and per therapist. So again, I'm going to refer back to have a conversation with your therapist about it. But (laughs) I think generally speaking, at the beginning, for most therapies, and this is also the way that I tend to work as well, um, 45 minutes to an hour for different appointments. And usually at the beginning, I like to do weekly with people because we're strangers. We don't know each other yet. We need to take the time to establish a comfortable relationship, a rapport, and build on that. And I think that once someone is feeling 
a little bit better, or even if they're quite busy and they feel like it's more of a stress or a strain to do weekly, you know, we can move to every other week, every three weeks. Some people I see once a month um, mm -hmm. as sort of check-ins too. So um, in terms of how long do I go to therapy, this is also such an individual decision. Yeah. I think the research out there is like, okay, for brief quote unquote brief therapy, something like 16 to 26 sessions is like, all right, you've got the skills, you're good to go. If you're looking for something brief, mm -hmm. that could be the range that you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll terminate or end therapy for now and come back for boosters later if I need it. But longer term therapy, I think can go on as long as you're benefiting from it and there's medical necessity and we're not just, you know, talking about the recent episode of the bachelorette or something, you know, like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it really varies and per therapist too. Some therapists only do brief therapy and some therapists only do long-term therapy. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And, um, the other thing too, is, is that the professional, the therapist will talk to the client or talk to a person about what the course of treatment is. I think a lot of clients come in and a lot of people come in saying, you know, I'm doing this, but I only want once per three weeks. And then the therapist goes, you know what? I'm so sorry, but uh, the, the way I approach things that you're going through, the way that I treat that, those issues is actually once per week therapy. Mm -hmm. And then the client goes, well, I can't really do that. And then it's not a good fit. And yeah. it's really not a good fit because the professional will give the professional opinion about how long the sessions are, how, you know, how often they are and how long the treatment's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be hard for some clients. Uh, it's, it could be also comforting because the therapist will really guide the client to let them know what to expect. Mm -hmm. So I've gone to therapy and there are a few things I don't like. By the way, right now when I'm, imper I'm impersonating a client. I'm not saying for myself. <laughs> so I'm impersonating a client right now. Okay, so I've gone to therapy and there are a few things I don't like. First is that they give me homework. Mm -hmm. Say a little bit about that. Should therapists give a client homework? Yeah, the homework thing. You know, this, I think again, just so different per therapist, but I think that homework is really important because it's not about the 45 to 60 minutes per week, per every other week, per three weeks, that's going to make the difference in your life mm -hmm. for the client, for someone who's going to therapy, it's being able to utilize those skills outside of the session. Mm. That's where the magic happens, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the other thing too is just that I'm going back into my acting mode. Second is I've gone three times and I don't feel any different. I thought I was supposed to feel better right away. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes what clients say or the parents say is that I thought I brought my kid into therapy and they were supposed to get better right away. What's up? What's going on? Yeah, I know that like magical wand that heals everything. I just keep it hidden in, you know, my desk. Um, I, I really do wish that it was a quick fix. Yeah. Um, I wish things could get better really easily and quickly, but most of the time these, these things that have been happening have created patterns and ripples and yeah. symptoms. And there's so many layers to what's happening that it's, it's most likely not going to be a very quick fix. And I would say just give it time and maybe even looking at your expectations. How are you measuring? How do you feel different? And how are you measuring the benefit from therapy? And sometimes thinking about it in a different way. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, I've reached out to more friends this week, or I've left the house more this week, or I've actually felt less, you know, stomach pain this week. You know, it's just so individualized that I would talk to your therapist about that or think about that and maybe just redefine the way that you're thinking about progress and with the kids, because I work with a lot of kids. Um, it's, you know, the, another saying, you, no man or woman, I'm changing it, or woman is an island. 
Mm. Um, no one operates or exists in a vacuum. Yeah. And without also addressing things happening in the family system, there's really not going to be a lasting or positive change. And sometimes I get the parents that come in, hey, here you go, you know, babysit my kid for 45 minutes. Um, and then they come in at the end and I say, okay, mom and dad, here's your homework this week. Here's what you're going to do this week. And they say, wait a minute, you're giving me homework? I, I didn't expect that. You're supposed to fix the kid. But I hope that parents listening to this um, see the benefit from that and see that because it's a system, yeah. if you can change things and the kid can change things, everything is just going to work more smoothly in the end. Mm. Mm. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So then let's say that I'm going to a therapist, like a Dr. Emily Hotz, right? Mm -hmm. I really like it. I'm getting so much better. When do we end? And and then I like Dr. Hotz. I don't want to end. Gosh, the things I came in with are pretty good. And I don't think there's anything really going that's, that's off, but I really like this therapist. So, so what do we do? Yeah. And, and therapy is strange like that, isn't it? The therapy and the relationship with the therapist is meant to help you in a way that you can live independently and almost like, you know, a, a bird leaving its nest, you know, oh my gosh, I can function and things are going well. And that's amazing. Yeah. And as a therapist, that's what we want. We don't want you to rely on us. We don't want you to feel like you need us in order for things to, to go well in your life, because we want you to be able to foster that and do that on your own. So if you're getting to a point, like my reference before that, you're just talking about the bachelorette yeah. and things are going really well. Oftentimes what I'll do is say, Hey, you know, we're in a really good spot. I think we can terminate for now, yeah. but I always say my door is open. And if something happens and you want to come back in, I'm here. I'm here for that. And I will always be here. Right. Mm -hmm. So they know in the back of their mind that, Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not abandoning my client, the relationship isn't um, over, it can continue to exist and be there if you need it and access it at that time, if that makes sense. By the way, it's a strange word, terminate. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> no Arnold Schwarzenegger involved. Yes. <laughs> terminate basically just means end the therapy. I think you are, you mentioned that already. I just want to just say it one more time. Um, you know, I think it's important, though, to talk about this a little bit more, because I I think that I don't know what it was like for you, but just a little bit disclosure for me and my own process as a therapist, I think just through the years, I've noticed that you create an atmosphere where clients are really vulnerable. And sometimes they've never had that kind of vulnerability with another person ever. <laughs> and it's revolutionary. It could be refreshing. It could be scary. And, and once you get to a point of real trust, they trust you unlike they've trust anybody else sometimes or very few people. Mm -hmm. That could be, you know, how do you respond to that? Because you mentioned the word friendship. They see you as a friend. Some see you with the closeness of a family member. Sure. Yeah. If it's something that is scary, or something that feels um, like losing something really, really important, that trust. If that's what it feels like to the client, that is a perfect thing to talk about in therapy and maybe yeah. a reason to either continue to, to delve into that a little bit more, but also to make it a focus. How do we, you know, if we're working on termination and the fear is the termination, there's something more there and is there a way to make it gradual? Is there a way to talk about the termination for a long time? Yeah. And there is, and I think any good therapist will, will help make it more of a progression yeah. than it is just you know a leap out the door and that's it, it's over. Right, right. You mentioned before something that um, was really powerful, which is, is that you know if client really feels that down the road, they wanna come back to you, your doors are open. Mm -hmm. what do you do if 
you've got a full caseload and you can't see them at the time. Right. And, and part of that, I think, is as a therapist, how many clients can we ethically see and still give our clients the best care possible? Okay. And this is something I'm also learning in private practice as well, but we need to have our own boundaries. And if I said yes to every person and every client coming back every time they asked, I, I would not be able to work because there is so much need out there. And as much as we want to help everyone, sometimes we can't. So if an old client were to come back and say, hey, Dr. Hotz, I've got this stuff going on and I had a full caseload, setting my boundaries, I would have to say, all right, here's the situation. You know, you're on my wait list. I will contact you as soon as I can. Mm. But if you can't wait, if this is pressing, you know, I will give you referrals. And even if that's a bridge, into when I'm free and they decide they want to come back to me, that's fine. Or if they establish a good connection with a new therapist, they can just sort of continue with that as well. That's sort of their choice. But, you know, I want what's best for them. I don't want them to have to wait if it can't wait. And um, I don't want them to feel any sort of allegiance to me because there are a lot of good therapists out there too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you have questions, ask your therapist. These are a lot of really great points to put on your radar. There's a lot of information here that's general information that's good for you to know. Uh, Dr. Hotz and I are in agreement that this is a this is a service that could really benefit people. It's a mental health resource for the community. And it's something that if you have the means uh, and if you feel there's a need uh, for you or anybody that you love, access it mm-hmm. or contact somebody to talk about accessing it. What are your thoughts? And do you have anything else that you want to add or talk about? Or the, the floor is absolutely open for anything. If you want to, if there's anything else that you, some, any questions that some people feel that you, that you want to answer here or anything. Yeah, I think, I mean, bringing it all together and definitely some things that have come up in my session, sometimes with people, they're like, you know, what am I supposed to say to you? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what is this supposed to look like? And I, I always say with, with, you know, this is in part really what you want it to be, what you want to get out of it. I want to tailor what we're doing to you with my expertise and guidance, and maybe sometimes a little bit of a push, even if you don't want it. Um, But knowing that this is a judgment-free zone, and I say that all the time, and whatever you say, even if it's, you know, you're pissing me off today, Dr. Hotz. Like, yes, tell me that. I want to know that. I want to know if I've missed the mark. I want to know if I've done something and rubbed you the wrong way because I want to learn. You know, I want people to know they're the expert on their life. And I want to get to know that. And, you know, they can sit in that expert role of their own experience. And I want to learn from it too. So I just hope that people can be open with, going to therapy, taking down some of the old stigmas or stereotypes, you know, you're not going to be laying down on a couch going, oh, woe is me, or, you know, you know, a Freudian kind of situation that really doesn't happen anymore. Um, So I, I just hope that if people are struggling, if they are even a little bit curious about therapy, that they pursue it and give it a try. And if you're curious about sushi, I hope you give that a try too, because it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and dodgeball as well. Yes, and dodgeball. Things that life can bring. Absolutely. Anything else? Anything else that you want to bring up? I think that's it. I think we covered a lot of bases here. I hope this informed some people on uh, the ins and outs of therapy. I think we covered a lot of bases here too. And uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. You have an open invitation to come back anytime. Talk about whatever um, you want to explain. It's mental health explained. Anything you want to explain to people, to the general public, this is what it's here for. So thank you so much. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Mental Health Explained. For more content, please visit the website at, I'm going to spell it out here for you, A-L-E-X-M-A-C-N-E-I-L.com. That's alexmcneil.com. Blessings, peace, and I look forward to explaining more next week.
The music for this podcast was created, composed, and produced by Blueprint. You could find him at waitlist.net.